IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about new albums by Mitski and Olivia Rodrigo. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, he's IndieCast's new Taylor Swift reporter, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I mean, we've held a lot of beats in our lifetime. You know, there was a time in, let's say, 2011 or 12, where I was, like, covering every Wave side project for Pitchfork, and then, you know, covering every Das Racist side project. So this is really nothing new to me, you know? It's just, it's just a matter of size and scale. So... We should clarify that for those out there who are not in media circles and social media, uh, there was a post that went up this week from the Tennessean, which is the daily newspaper in Nashville, and uh, it's a job opening for a Taylor Swift reporter, someone who only reports on Taylor Swift, and this is in a town that is an it's an industry town, Nashville, obviously yeah. country music. Uh, I assume that there will be someone also covering the rest of the music industry in Nashville. But Taylor Swift now is so much her own nation state in pop music that you have to have a reporter in one of America's big industry towns covering her exclusively. And of course, this news, it prompted a lot of gnashing of teeth among the (laughs) music writer community. How can this be? How can there be a person only reporting on Taylor Swift? Um... I'm surprised that this didn't already exist in a way, because especially in Nashville, I mean, Taylor Swift is big enough uh, as a cultural force, as a financial money machine, all of it, to justify this kind of coverage. It is a little weird, though, that uh, in this world where it seems like the musical middle class has been shrunk, or not shrunk, but just like forgotten about and it's so much focus on just this handful again of pop star nation states who are so big in some ways they're bigger than music itself or the industry itself uh it seems very telling in that regard that taylor swift would command this kind of attention yeah i mean i feel a little bit hypocritical making fun of this because every time we talk about the music or the music writing industry as a whole on this podcast, it's like, hey, they just like took, they just like shuttered this uh, place that we really love for the past twenty years. Hey, I used to work here, but hey, this is like job creation. Like Taylor Swift is a job creator. But that being said, um, I just wonder what the I don't know the talent pool is going to be. Like, are they going to hire like a twenty two year old? from like Columbia University with like a journalism degree and $200,000 in student loan debt? Or do you have to be like a seasoned vet of the Taylor Swift beat? You know, is like Rob Sheffield maybe going to like uh, pivot or is there like a Jordan Love to his Aaron Rodgers at Rolling Stone who's just like can't wait for this dude. This guy's never going to fucking retire. I'm going to get my own sort of gig. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how long that plays out. And also like I'm wondering we're at like peak you know, we're at Pete Taylor Swift, you know, she's between album cycles, you know, the era's tour is happening. Like what happens if she like decides, yeah, I'm going to like not do anything for four months because I've been on a college football beat for, um, AOL fan house, shout out to them. And boy, you really got to work when it's like 
April and you're trying to like gin up recruiting stories about like the mid-tier ACC schools. Like I'm I'm excited to see like what they're going to do during like the Taylor Swift offseason to the extent that one exists. Well, I, my feeling about the Taylor Swift job is that in a way it's like being a war correspondent. <laughs> because yeah, <it's> exactly. <laughs> if you are covering Taylor Swift exclusively, you are dealing with the Swifty nation who are insane. I think we can safely say that they are insane people. And it's like being in the Middle East <laughs> and you are a war correspondent and you're constantly under fire. You know, like you may need to... Uh, go into some sort of witness relocation program uh, if you are writing exclusively about Taylor Swift, unless you are only going to be putting out fluff pieces, which maybe that, yeah. which is which may be the case. Um, quick story: I actually applied for a job at the Tennessean about twenty years ago when I was in the daily newspaper world. The paper I worked at was owned by the same company as the Tennessee, and I believe it's still the same company, which would be Gannett, which is a terrible company. <laughs> uh, but they owned my paper, and they owned the Tennessean, and I applied at the Tennessean. And you know, in this period, I applied for probably a hundred jobs at least at like mid-sized metro papers. You know, trying to get the next step in the ladder of my media career, and I failed every time. And <laughs> the Tennessean was no different. I didn't even get an interview there. But I did talk to the editor on the phone, uh, who was she was nice to take my call. She chatted with me a little bit, and she asked me, like, what websites do you like to read? And this was like 2004, 2005, and I said, I like to read Pitchfork. And she's like, I've never heard of that site. <laughs> so I introduced her to Pitchfork back in the day. So quick, I don't know. I don't know how much that adds to this whole thing, well, but I felt, I felt a personal connection to this because in an alternate universe, maybe I would be at the Tennessean reporting on Taylor Swift. If I had gotten that job, maybe that's where I would be at this moment in time. I think it is I think it does add color to this because I I just thought of for like maybe the first time in 21 years, like around that time like 2022 when I was like looking for any kind of writing work, I actually this is what the this is what the industry was like in 2022. There was a uh I think there was like an arts gig at a Corpus Christi Texas newspaper and I think I applied for that job and I heard nothing back but you know I'm thinking about like what would it be like to be 22 years old like living in fucking Corpus Christi Texas writing for the arts paper that's like a Lyle Lovett song waiting to happen right there I mean I was living in small town Wisconsin <laughs> and when I was 23 working for a daily newspaper which I feel like like I'm, I'm I'm so grateful for that experience because I feel like when I tell my kids about it it's like saying I work for the railroads, <laughs> you know. It, it seems so old timey. I mean, I, there's, I guess, still jobs like that that you can get as a 23, 24 year old, but it seems like that world is definitely on the way out. It's very much diminished. I mean, it was on the way out when I joined it. I, I, I feel like I was Tony Soprano. <laughs> you ever you feel know, you like come you in can. at the end? Yeah, I came in at the end of daily newspapers for sure. Um, can we do a quick sports cast? I, 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 I fear it won't be quick, but we're de I definitely think we need to do it. Okay, let's do a quick sports cast. We're going to pause on IndyCast. We're going to go into sports cast here because the NFL season started last week. And I just have to say, it was an incredible sports weekend for me. Uh, the Packers beat the Bears handily. Mm -hmm. Jordan Love... He's the new quarterback in Green Bay. The Jordan Love era commenced. He played very well. I believe he had three touchdown passes, no interceptions, looked poised, looked really good. 
Um, the Vikings, my most hated team, they they choked like dogs at home against Baker Mayfield. Beautiful. And look, I, I'm not happy about this, but I'm just saying I think it shows that the Packers have good karma on their side, that Aaron Rodgers got hurt immediately in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about Packers quarterbacks in New York. You got Brett Favre sending photos of his private area to women. He gets discredited. Aaron Rodgers, four snaps in, snaps his Achilles heel. He might be done forever. If Jordan Love goes to the Jets in 15 years, um, you know, he's going to get assassinated on the tarmac or something. It, it, I, I feel like the, the Packers quarterbacks in New York, it just gets worse and worse uh, with each new iteration. Um it's like kind of like a it's like a seventies movie about like how going to New York like Death Wish or I know that takes place in San Francisco <laughs> but like you go to New York and it's all gritty and grimy and or like no, the De- Welcome the to Death the Wish Jungle is- video or something like that. Death Wish is New York. You're thinking of Dirty Hair. Oh right, yeah, Dirty Hair. Right, Dirty Hair is in San Francisco. Um, so you know we make our outlines here and we kind of sketch in some of the things we're going to say. Um, you have a very anti NFL take in. In our outline here, I was surprised by this. I know you're a college football guy, mm-hmm. but like you, you don't like the NFL. I I think well, this is definitely true in week one. Like every single time in week one, like the defenses are so far ahead of the offenses in terms of their game planning that like you're just gonna watch like dog shit product for like the first couple of weeks, and then the offense figures it out, and you know you figure out that maybe like six teams aren't total ass, and as opposed to four. But I like where we're kind of going with like your intro because this is, I think, spite watching the NFL is really the only way to go about it. Like I think that just in so many ways it is a inferior product to college. Not in the sense that like the players are worse, but like. It somehow managed to be like more owner friendly than a lead, than than like a style of sport where like the players don't get paid. Although you know the Alabama running backs might be getting like paid more money one way or the other than like an NFL running back who's like made the Pro Bowl a couple times. But or, I, that, or that kid that plays quarterback for USC that Caleb Williams, yeah, that guy fucking balls out. He's awesome. He's making. A, he's got to be making at least a million dollars in NIL money. Yeah, and he's, like, he's in LA. Yeah, and he's underpaid if that's the case. But. So wait, okay, so you think college is superior to the NFL? As an emotional experience, it totally is. Because, I mean, I I was recommending that you watch the end of the Wyoming-Texas Tech game, uh, which was played in Laramie. It's, like, ending at, like, 1130 on a Saturday night. You got, like, all the people from Wyoming, like, drunk as fuck, washing the field. And it's just, like, to me, it's a little more indie rock in terms of, like, the emotion um, you know, it maybe they're not like playing as well technically, but there always feels like there's something at stake. There's more regionalism. Um, I mean, like I wouldn't watch the equivalent. I mean, there is no equivalent of Wyoming, Texas Tech in the NFL. Like you couldn't fucking pay me to watch the 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 Houston Texans play the Buccaneers or something along those lines. But like, hey, I got 30 minutes to watch, you know, uh Colorado play Nebraska. Absolutely. Okay, well, I'll watch Colorado because of Dion. Yes. The Dion Sanders thing is interesting to me. Uh, no regionalism in, in football, like in NFL, like you're totally wrong because I was just talking about hating the Vikings mm-hmm. as a Packer fan. This is totally an upper Midwest thing. I hate the Bears because of the divisional rivalry. So there's totally regionalism there. I mean, more in style um, of play. Like most of the NFL teams are pretty much interchangeable. Okay, I could, I could. 
That's totally wrong. <laughs> I could not disagree with you more there. I mean, look, I'm a Packer fan, so maybe my experience is skewed because the Packers, in a way, are the closest thing to a college football team in the NFL just because of the community that it's in. It's a small town, and it is the thing in that area. So if you grow up where I grew up, the Packers, it's just a different level than maybe if you live in New York. Although, I mean, the Giants and the Jets, they have passionate followings. I don't know. I College football, to me, with some exceptions, is a four-hour game where people just run into the line of scrimmage mm. for, like, every play. And that's it. Because they don't have, they don't have the, the players, and they don't have, like, the schemes. It's way simpler as a game. I think... Unless you're talking about like these SEC teams that are clearly better than like the rest of the country, most games are boring. Like watching, what would you say, Wyoming and Utah? Why? Well, te- why? T- Utah's fucking fun to watch because they just like they are like badass. They just like beat the are, shit out of you. Are they the team like with the blue field? That's Boise State. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's just funny because what, what you're describing, like the run into the line of scrimmage, that actually does describe the San Diego State team, but like. I'll tell you this, like, I feel you might be influenced a little bit by, like, what Wisconsin has been doing for the past 20 years, but they are running, oh, of the, course. Air, they're running the air raid now, but right. the, the difference, but, like, some teams have no talent, and so they got to run these, like, bizarre schemes, and that's what you get in college football. Like, you'll never see the triple option in the NFL. You'll never see the air raid. Um, I, I love how, like, you might see a team with, like, you know, like a Georgia Tech or like a Stanford that has no recruiting advantages. So they got to do things differently. And that's where you get like the different styles. Um, but yeah, then you also get like the uh, Georgias and the Alabamas, which if you if you want to like really get into like what it's like to be at a game, like you got go to it, go to a tailgate at like Ole Miss or LSU or Georgia. And I, I think you'll see like kind of the difference between like the college uh, fandom and the NFL fandom. Like you go down go to, to Atlanta. Go, no, 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 Because I again, I'm a Packer fan. I'm an Eagles fan. I mean, we we've been go, memorialized. I know, but you go movies. to a, but I know, but you talk about the tailgate. If you go to a tailgate at Lambeau Field, it's unbelievable because it's not just the stadium. It's like the neighborhood around the stadium. You got people parking cars in their yard. They're having like the the potluck in the garage. You're just like bouncing from different house to different house with like a Bloody Mary and a plastic cup. It's unbelievable. So again, I think that we're both skewed by our personal experiences. You went to Georgia, mm-hmm. which is a great college football school, and I can imagine being there. Yeah, me and me toasting a solo cup with Mike Mills and Peter Buck. Yeah, it's 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 a fucking party. And if you were to go to Lambeau Field and experience a Packer game, you would feel differently about the NFL because it is unbelievable. I feel like we have to pause this. This could be like a three-hour <laughs> throwdown where we just debate NFL versus college football, but we have to end sportscast now and go back to IndyCast. Oh. And, and, and the segue <laughs> here will be just a quick update on our fantasy draft here. We did a fantasy fall albums draft last week, and uh, I'm off to a huge start. In the first quarter. You haven't had any albums on your team come out yet. I've had two. One is my number one pick, Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, She performed big for me. She got a 90 Metacritic score. Uh, At one point, it was 98. And then I got dragged down a little bit by Pitchfork. I'm I'm, (laughs) I'm suspecting Dirty Pool on your part. (laughs) I think you pulled some strings at Pitchfork to lower, because I think she got an 8.0. 
from Pitchfork. I think you pulled some strings and were like, can we knock this down like from an 8.5, 8.8 to an 8? I, I'm doing an investigation into that. Um, anyway, it's a 90, though. It's a really good score. And then Mitski was my second round pick. Her album's out today. We'll talk about that in a minute. She's currently at a 91. So I'm sitting pretty right now. I don't know if you're getting nervous here. I mean, you have to have two albums that do 90 plus to keep pace with me. Do you think you have that on your team? Uh, I think I got like, I, I think the bench is deeper. You know, I did kind of budget for this big lead. Um, and by the way, you, like many other people on the internet, think I have way more pull at pitchfork than I actually do. So I don't know, man. <laughs> I, the, uh, the NCAA of fantasy fall album drafts, they're doing an investigation. Yeah. We're going to get to the corru- bottom of The this. corruption we'll runs deep. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there. there's one, like, real-life fantasy league that I've been in for, like, the past 15 to 20 years where no matter what happens in the draft, I pick second, I pick 10th. Um, I My team always just completely falls apart in the first week. Like, everyone plays, like, total ass. That happened to me this week. I had T. Higgins. I had DeAndre Swift. Um, I had Isaiah Likely because Mark Andrews decided to get injured. And, you know, I start rethinking this entire, like, fuck, man, like, I got to – Go for the Romeo Dubs of the world or the Puka. Dobbs. Do- okay, gotcha. R- Romeo Dobbs, my friend. What's I guess the U is silent. Um, either way, um, <laughs> you know, like I'm thinking to myself, like, man, what could I have done differently? Because I think I alluded to this last week. Like, I should have gone with like the Roshan Murphy. Like, that would have been like a Tyreek Hill type pick where, you know, I know <laughs> right. they're gonna put up huge numbers, but I'm like morally opposed to doing that. By the way, like yeah. one of the most bizarre music music writer subplots of like the past couple of years where like people have to like bake in the I know they're kind of canceled, but like I love this album before. So um I, I pass on Sparkle Horse. That seemed like easy money right there because it's always gonna get reviewed by the 40-year-old guy. Um and that's it. Right. But um I, I'm confident because I got the deeper bench. Yeah, I was baking on that with some of my later picks. The uh Album that only gets seven reviews, but mm-hmm. it's all by like the forty-five-year-old guy <laughs> that like always reviews that stuff. Yeah, uh, I think that's those are like good garbage points to get uh, to pad out the score. Yeah, it's like I mean, get, it's like getting the wide receiver for like the like the three and fourteen team that like gets their ass kicked and always is playing from behind. It's just, it's just pure strategy. Yeah, exactly. You have Taylor Swift, nineteen eighty-nine, the Taylor's version mm-hmm. coming up. That's. That could be like a 98. I could just see critics, uh, you know, going o- like overboard with that one. Um, your Sufjan, number one pick. I'm a little intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. I think that will be well-reviewed, but I don't know if it's going to get into the 90 range. I think that could be like a good low to mid-80s, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens with that. Yeah. We'll see how close he gets to the Carrie and Lowell <laughs> standard. Um, sequels are never as good as the originals, though. Um Let's talk about Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, her album, Guts, came out last week. Of course, it's the number one album in the country. It's the number one most discussed album of the past week. Um, Ian, the discourse on this album, pretty <laughs> awful. Uh, we've moved beyond the original discourse with Olivia Rodrigo. If you remember from past indie casties, it was the uh, can older people like Olivia Rodrigo? conversation you remember that oh, with yeah. her first record that was like a big thing where people were just arguing with no one on the <laughs> internet forever or like one random person who did like a snarky tweet and then you get like 20 think pieces based on that that was awful 
the past week we've had uh, well, someone talked about someone tweeted about how uh, Olivia Rodrigo uh, is uh, a poor excuse for this generation's answer to Avril Lavigne. That was that thing. Yes, because Avril Lavigne is this uh, paragon of musical brilliance that no one could touch at all, and she's sacrosanct. So there was that. There was. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. There was a, a someone on on uh, social media was claiming that Olivia Rodrigo um, invented the thirty nine minute album. I did not see that. Yeah, this album guts is thirty nine minutes long, and uh, because everything has to be overanalyzed, someone analyzed the running length, and they concluded that um, this is because of TikTok. Which I don't really understand because you don't play entire albums on TikTok. Yeah. I don't understand like why. And if you did, I mean, you can't play a thirty-nine minute album. You'd have to. It'd have to be like a minute-long album. If it was like a minute-long album, I'd go, okay, yeah, that's because of TikTok. But thirty-nine minutes, I don't really understand. Uh, so there was that. Um, this is the thing I want to ask you because the thing I've noticed in a lot of the writing about Olivia Rodrigo is that there's a real focus on the like bubblegum rock mm-hmm. aspect of what she does. And if you listen to this record, there are lots of examples of her kind of going into this alt-rock, pop-punk type of sound. There's this song on there, Ballad of a Homeschooled Girl, which to me sounds like an amalgam of every Bush single <laughs> from 16 Stone. And of course, I'm... Including Glycerine? Maybe not Glycerine. We'll okay. take Glycerine out of there. All the rockers. <laughs> so like four out of five singles from 16 Stone. And of course I mean that as a compliment. Uh, but that's only about half the record. The other half of the record are these melodramatic piano ballads that I think personally are, are, are pretty bad. Um, I don't mm-hmm. like her in that mode at all. I like the bubblegum rock songs. But I find it curious that people are either like forgiving that side of her music or they're conveniently forgetting it. Um, Because to me, like the thing with both of her albums, this album and Sour, which came out a couple of years ago, is that the rock stuff I, I, I enjoy. I like when she's in that mode, but like the ballad part of her is actually a pretty significant part. Like her most famous song is still driver's license that's like her most streamed track it's been streamed on spotify almost two billion times um so that's a significant part of what she does but i feel like people don't really talk about that because i think if they did this album would not have a 90 metacritic score i i I don't i think that's way over the top if it were all the bubble gummy rockers then yeah i could get to a higher score but like to me there's a real strong stench of like Lin-Manuel Miranda Hamilton <laughs> era stuff that like her generation came up on and I'm sure that was influential to her on some level and like to me that's just like musical kryptonite I, I cannot stomach that at all do you agree with me like do you do you see this too like I I feel like there's a there's a cringiness to her on the ballad side that is mm-hmm. under discussed. Yeah, I, I, I it reminds me sort of like I don't like I, I just need to point out where we've talked about fantasy football and Olivia Rodrigo, which if I guess if I can you know 
get a taste test of the narrative. Apparently, these are both very like middle aged man things to do. <laughs> middle aged <laughs> men yeah, love it, Olivia Rodrigo. I don't know how deep and, we, call, and football. And football, yeah. yeah. I don't know how deep we want to get into the Olivia Rodrigo middle aged men connection, but uh, at any rate, <laughs> yeah, it's there. But yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, it reminds me sort like I'm I'm thrown back to like you know the '90s, like the mid to late '90s, where you'd get like a hip hop record and you'd get a CD and like skip through all the songs that had like an R and B hook or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean the ballad side, like it's pretty significant, and um, I know that's like not it's like kind of a loss leader. Uh, but the funny thing is, those aren't even the singles. Um, but as far as like I don't know the the narrative. I mean I know it sucks. It always sucks. Like I remember there was like that time where an AI robot was fed like seasons of Law and Order, and it was able to produce a pretty good uh, semblance of a script. And I feel like we could do this every time a pop album comes out because yeah, you mentioned the you know it's not it's not like the new Avril Lavigne. And then I saw. Uh, Jay Caspian Kang kind of compare this album to like Godspeed You Black Emperor at some point. What? Um, Well, it just talks about like, and I think this gets into like why it um, resonates with middle-aged men um, because yeah, we're going to get deep into there. Like anytime like I listen to, you know, see a new pop star of this nature come out, like I think, would Dave Grohl call this the future of rock? And the answer with Olivia Rodrigo is absolutely because even though it is like a new pop star, it's not a new kind of pop star in the same way that like, you know, Lord or Billie Eilish wasn't, you know, right. sometimes at work, I'll, I'll like be talking to like 18 or 19 year old kids. And it's like, it's just like being on a different planet, like their frame of reference for like, you know, TikTok or the video games or music. Or, it's like, this is stuff that I cannot even begin to grasp. But, you know, the thing that I think appeals about this is that, um, you know, you've mentioned Avril and early Paramore. You've, we, you know, she's uh, bringing the Breeders on tour. There's some Veruca Salt in there. There's maybe some Wet Legs. So it brings up a lot of familiar reference points. But the thing that, like, prevents me from getting into it, like, I didn't say, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda, but, like, that was absolutely on my mind when I was listening to it. I think it just kind of embodies this, you know, the theater kid energy that's coursing through pop culture in so many ways. Um, You know, it it, it just makes me think we need to, like, have actual nerds and outcasts come back because I I just can't, I just can't hang with this sort of thing because it... It's it's that theater kid energy where it's like, you know, you're singing the plot. That's kind of, aside from the fact that the rapping is super corny, that's what I couldn't get down with with Hamilton because like the songs are about plot. It's about the things that are happening and there's no way to translate that in any other way. And also there's like this, I don't even know what to call it, but we've talked about this on like White Lotus and Mayor of Easttown where there's always like one character who's like, you know, 16 or 18 years old. And it's very clear that they're not talking like a teen. They're talking like a 25 to 35 year old writer, um, just kind of a mouthpiece for the way they see the world. And so, you know, that's all happening. And a a part of me wants to think with this album, it's like, okay, well, it's not for me, but it's well executed. But I can't imagine like an execution of this thing where I'd actually like it, you know? Well, I think that, 
just talking about this as an album is different than talking about what she does well. I think both of her albums have uh, consistency issues. And again, like it is the ballad thing for me. Like again, I, I like mm. bubblegum rock songs. Like I've always liked that, and I like that she's bringing that energy, you know, into the mainstream culture again. Like there's that song "Get 'Em Back," which is like it kind of sounds like "Loser" by Beck, and it has. Right. Uh, you know, like a snotty attitude to it. Like, that's a fun song. And there's other songs on there I like. Um, but the ballads, I think, don't work for me at all. Although I wonder on some level if that is where the juice is for her core constituency. Like, And, w- and by that, I don't mean middle-aged men. I mean like actual teenagers. <laughs> teenagers who are going through heartbreak and they're in their room and they want to listen to something melodramatic you know i think driver's license is totally a song that works on that level and it's not really up to older people to get it it is aimed at uh a younger audience and and they're gonna like it and i think these rock songs there is something about them that does feel like it's pitched to an older audience almost like when you go see like an animated film and they're making references to pop culture from 40 years ago that no kid is going to get (laughs) but it's for the parents who have to take their kids to the show there's definitely an element of that on this olivia rodrigo album just to go back to your dave Grohl point for a moment you know we should talk about like you know like the middle-aged man crown for like young female artists because (laughs) it was lord for a while it was and then billy eilish took it and now Olivia Rodrigo like has taken it from Billie Eilish, and maybe Billie's going to mm-hmm. come back and take it from Olivia Rodrigo. But it it is like the young female artist that like Billy Joel Armstrong or like Dave <laughs> Grohl or you know like the people like those people are going to reference in an interview like yeah she's like the new Nirvana man like it's Olivia <laughs> Rodrigo or it's Lord you know you, like we're like, th- like this is the artist you're going to see those quotes about. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I I find her to be like a pretty charming person. She has like a lot of charisma, and I yeah, I, I'm waiting for her to go full on snotty rock songs on an album. I, I I wonder if she'll ever do that, and maybe she won't because again, like I think the ballad side does have a constituency out there, and and, and for her as an artist, that may be what where her heart is more. I don't know. But, because this record's very ballady, and I don't hear people talking about that. It's like yeah. when they, like when I see people saying, "Oh, this sounds like Veruca Salt," or "It sounds like the Breeders." And I'm like, okay, maybe for half of the record, but mm-hmm. it also sounds like Hamilton, you know. And the Hamilton <laughs> thing, there's way too much of it for me to fully endorse this album. Well, you bring up like the the fact that this might actually be a singles artist, because I think that is one thing that writers and you know ourselves have a lot of trouble grappling with because i mean i don't know when this will ever end but it seems like music writing is like an album based format like even even as like we shift more to covering like pop and dance music and you know things which are traditionally single format you know the album review and the year end list are still the you know main drivers that you know gawkers and people who check in once every couple of months uh, hone in on. And I don't like, I don't know if it would be okay for people to think like, okay, this is a, you know, paradigm, not maybe not a paradigm shifting, but a generational pop artist who's just like also really good at making singles and maybe isn't best suited to an album format. Cause 
Um, you know, that's like pretty like I think with Carly Rae Jepsen, people kind of did that. Um, they they were able to thread that needle, but I don't think that's like the case right now. You know, where it's like, um, you know, Ice Spice has been interesting because this is clearly one of the biggest stars on planet earth right now, but hasn't dropped an actual album yet. Same with like Doja cat, who is a little bit more difficult to wrangle, you know, from a music writer perspective, even though she is putting out albums. It's like, what's, what's wrong with being a singer? What's what it, I think that's just like one of the interesting subplots of recent music trends, which is like, try like, conflating an artist's importance and popularity with the album format that we have to use. Yeah, no, that's, that, um, I, that's a great point. I think it is interesting that um, we're actually less inclined now to talk about artists being great singles artists than we were 20 years ago. Like, I feel like that mm-hmm. was more of a conversation where you'd have the Paz and Jop list and you'd have the albums list and you had the singles list. And it was like different artists on those lists because it was understood that, okay, there's some artists who are really good at making albums and there's other artists who are really good at making like great pop songs that capture the zeitgeist. And I think Olivia Rodrigo. Avril Lavigne was one of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And and now I think if someone were to write about Avril Lavigne and write like the think piece about like why she's meaningful, they would write about her album and they would make the case for the album, even though the album probably isn't as good as like the two or three best songs. Like there's, I'm sure a lot of filler on that record. Um, There is. (laughs) Just as I think there's a lot of filler on this Olivia Rodrigo album. You know, just to tie this into something that you wrote this week, you wrote a piece for Up Rocks about the 1975, you ranked their best songs. And I've often said, and I know you disagree with me, but I think the 1975 are another example of like a really good singles act and not as good of a, uh, of an album act. I think that their albums generally are very spotty and have like two or three great singles on them. And that I think is their strength more than making albums. I think the difference is with the 1975, they view themselves as very album oriented. And so like you see the outline of like, yeah, we are trying to make this, you know, 60 minute, which, you know, is like a triple album, I guess, in TikTok terms. Uh, Look, I didn't read that tweet about Olivia Rodrigo inventing the 39 minute album. But um, yeah, but by the way, give a little plug to my uh, 50 or 30 best uh, the 1975 songs uh, article at Uproxx. I'm I'm pretty stoked. I was so deeply in fear about how that would be received, and none of it came to fucking pass. Um, I, I, I'm just like so, so happy that like um, you know I put out a 1975 list, and like my internet day was not ruined. Maybe I'm just like overthinking things, or maybe I'm just like irrelevant as a writer. No, but. I mean I think Maddie Healy <laughs> he learned the lesson of the Trump era. The thing that Donald Trump proved is that as long as you just keep moving forward and you don't apologize or dwell on, on your yeah. controversies, people forget, you know, which is a terrible lesson in a lot of ways because <laughs> it it discourages contrition and contemplation of your mistakes. But it's the truth that in the modern era, like if you actually show that you feel bad for a mistake that you made and you want to dwell on it, it's just blood on the, blood in the water. People will not forgive you. You know, they're just going to keep wrapping you over the head for this mistake and uh, you're going to be done for. Whereas if you just keep moving forward and you forget that it happened or you, you know, 
just keep doing other things that are offensive. People are going to forget the old offensive <laughs> thing, and you're going to be fine. I think that's what he learned, Matty Healy, and uh, it, it's worked out for him. Yeah, I think they're coming to San Diego in a couple of weeks. I'll be maybe maybe I'll have to check that out. See if uh, Matt, you know, Matty Healy uncorks some awesome stage banter. But um, yeah, it's uh, I think it's just a matter of presentation. Like if we're talking about like Olivia Rodrigo in the nineteen seventy five. The difference between you know a band that presents itself as an album and maybe with Olivia Rodrigo, like I don't know, just uh, it's okay to be a singles artist. Like, it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, look, I'm, I have no doubt this will be album of the year or top five for a lot of places. Like, I really, really don't. And I do wonder if there's going to be like any contrarian ones where it's like, actually, the ballads are the strength of the album. You know what I'm saying? You know, one thing that we haven't talked about yet, and we, we won't get too much into because we should talk about this Mitski record, but is there like a brewing beef between rodrigo and taylor swift like I'm, I'm there's like some uh intimations out there and like she was asked in a rolling stone interview about this and she gave like a non-denial denial about it she said something like <laughs> i don't pay attention to this sort of thing and uh you know i only know four people in my life and those are the people i hang out with she didn't say i love taylor swift she's a great person it was like a little bit of a redirect there is this going to happen, and what's going to happen <laughs> to our, you know, field of study, our field of work? Is it going to be able to take these two? Go. This is like King Kong and Godzilla going to battle yes. if that happens. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe this is just the like it's the Nashville Tennessean trying to like gin up some articles for like their future Taylor Swift beat person, but like I know it's not going to happen. Like, uh, but like. Olivia Rodrigo beefing with Taylor Swift would be like the single most interesting thing her or basically any artist could do, you know, because like, I, I think what vampire was like intimated to be kind of sort of about Taylor Swift. I haven't dug that far deep into it. Like in the same way that you could, you know, piece through Taylor Swift songs and assume they're about like whatever celebrity you want to project onto it. Um, which by the way, there was like some rumors that Taylor Swift was dating Travis Kelsey now, right. which, um, yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah. Spe- speaking of the intersection of sports and pop culture, but I- I'm hoping, I'm hoping that beef starts. Like I'm hoping we get like Olivia Rodrigo, Taylor Swift, cold war, not because like I want, you know, people fighting each other or I think there can, you know, there can only be one, but you know, I'm just in it for the content. I want, I want, I'm look, I wrote a book about rivalries. I love rivalries. I would, I would die for a, a Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo feud. That would be like a hundred thousand dollar advance. Like you got to like <laughs> rush this thing out by like by Christmas. That'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, your your favorite band is killing me. Part two, Olivia Rodrigo, Taylor Swift edition. Um, let's talk about Mitski. New Mitski album out today. It's called "The Land Is Inhospitable," and so are we. Uh, this is her seventh album. Uh, it comes right on the heels of Laurel Hell, which came out only last year. It came out, in, I believe, in February of 2022. So about a year and a half ago. And I reviewed this album for Uproxx. And I have to say, going into this record, I wasn't sure what to expect. I, I reviewed Laurel Hell. I didn't like that record at all. I, I think it's possibly her worst record. Maybe her debut, uh, Lush, uh, from 2012, is 
maybe that would be worse than Laurel Hell, but it's definitely, I think, in the lower echelon of Mitski records. So in a way, it's like, okay, is Mitski in decline, or am I just kind of getting out on Mitski? Like, how do I feel? And then I put on this record, and I just love it. I This is, I think, one of her best records, uh, and it's a definite change from what she has done lately. Uh, it's interesting with Mitski because... You can really break her discography down into pairs of records, you know. And the last two records, Be the Cowboy and Laurel Hell, she was working this sort of synth-pop vein. Before that, you had Puberty 2 and Bury Me at Makeout Creek, which were more of like an indie rock, punk emo style of music. And this new album is uh, yet another change in style. It's I would describe it as sort of like a soft rock record with country instrumentation. There's a lot of pedal steel on this record, which is always a bonus for me. If you want to pander to my personal taste, just hire someone to lay on some pedal steel. I'm going to like <laughs> bump you up at least half a grade uh, for that alone. Um, I feel like she was probably listening to a lot of Wise Blood while making this record because there are some yeah, like... A lot of Angel Olsen. Too. Yeah, there's, there's vibes of that. A little maybe of Lana Del Rey from the Norman fucking Rockwell era, like a scaled down version of that, but definite vibes of that as well. But I think even if you can compare her to other artists, I think that Mitski's uh, lyrical point of view and just her vibe, what she brings to the record, is so unique. And along with, I think, just the beautiful music on this record, and it really is, I think, the most beautiful album she's ever made. Uh, again, I think it's one of her best, but I think it's unquestionably like one of the the prettiest records in, that she's uh, had in her catalog. Um, I really feel like this is a record that only she could have made. It has that Mitski thing where you feel like the songs are building a very particular world that can only be described as Mitski-esque. And <laughs> to me, that is her strength as a singer-songwriter. And I feel like she got away from that a little bit on her last two records, which, you know, Laurel Hell it is working this 80s, pop type vein that quite frankly has been drawn upon by so many artists like in the last 10 years like i'm really sick of that sound really at this point Mm -hmm. and it just seemed like laurel hell was the kind of record that you make when you're about to go on tour with harry styles and play stadiums you know like it's going to appeal to the masses but i don't think it really plays to her strengths and this record i think it feels like a conscious scaling back in a lot of ways, even though I think this record is very grand and lush, but it doesn't have, I think, the same sort of commercial appeal that her previous two records did. And I'm curious to see how people respond to it. Again, I love this record. I think it's one of the best of the year. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. Also, and I don't know if I'm wrong about this, but I feel like there's not as much buzz for this album as I would have expected. And I think, you know, you you can point to a couple of reasons for that. Like, Mitski hasn't done any interviews on this album cycle, and she did a ton for Laurel Hell. Mm -hmm. And I imagine, you know, because we're so close to Laurel Hell, it makes sense maybe that she didn't want to talk all that much to the media this time. But that inevitably is going to, you know, maybe, you know, tamp down the pre-release uh, conversation about a record so there's that the olivia rodrigo thing has been so big maybe that's overshadowing this album a little bit i don't know what it is but i mean am i wrong i mean do you feel like there's maybe like a little lack of anticipation for this like because mitski is one of the biggest stars in indie rock i mean she's sort of transcended the indie rock at this point 
I just would expect there to be a little bit more hype for this, especially because I think the record is really great. And a lot of the reviews, you know, as I alluded to before, with her Metacritic <laughs> score of 91, I mean, she, this is getting great reviews. But I don't know, like the organic conversation, I'm not seeing as much. Am I, am I wrong about that? Well, I mean, I've had a pretty busy week at in real life work, so like I can't necessarily assume that my lack of engagement with the narrative is like what's happening in the real world. But you mentioned this was funny on Stereo Gum, like their review of it was like the seventh most read article. Like it was behind like a Beastie Boys news piece. So I do get kind of a sense that there isn't um she doesn't feel as ascendant as she was in the past. There's like a lot of interesting contradictions going on with the way this album is being kind of treated right now because on the one hand it's like getting maybe even the best reviews of her entire career um a lot of which seems to be um you know just kind of based on what was considered a disappointment with laurel hell but like laurel hell throughout most of 2022 was an album that got i think outperformed its original reviews on year end list because it, it was like you know an album that broke her through to a popular audience and maybe it was underrated before. So I can't tell where that's going, what's happening right there. But um, I think all this stuff kind of coalesces for me in being an excellent Mitski album that doesn't really feel it's at the center of the narrative. Um, You're right that she's kind of transcended her space as like an indie artist and just as in Mitski world, which I think is really what she wanted to accomplish all along. You know, it's similar to the conversation we had about the last Lana Del Rey album and that like, and, you know, Mitski talked about like, you know, getting her record contract in order. So I imagine that she'll maybe make, you know, more low stakes uh, albums more frequently and just develop a catalog um, that is really rewarding and tries a lot of different things and things don't feel as pressure packed as Laurel Hell did, um, which is my least favorite Mitski album. But like, I think, uh, one of the best moves for her career because it got her that kind of platform for mainstream acceptance. And now she can do basically whatever the fuck she wants, you know, similar to, you know, and I think that's what she wanted all along. Um, I, I don't, I, I look at like similar artists like Father John Misty or Mac DeMarco who, you know, had a, maybe not to the same extent, but like, uh, their period of like being overexposed, being overhyped and, you know, their albums just tend to get memory hold now, but, um, Mitski is going to be someone who's going to, you know, stick around and make interesting art, uh, if she wants to, and if she doesn't like, great, like, I, th- I like this album. Like, will I reach for it over Puberty 2 and Make Out Creek? Eh, probably not because I need that emo shit. But I do hope, and I doubt this is going to be the case, that it's turning its back on that Laurel Hell style 80s synth pop sound. I really hope it becomes a trend. You know, I really hope like shying away from that becomes a trend. And Oh, it's got uh, to. I, I think so. I, I Because it's so played out at this point. It really is. It was it, played out. It was played out then too. <laughs> it was played out then. It's been played out for a while. And if you look at someone like Olivia Rodrigo, if she is a sign of something new, maybe the reference points are going to change now from '80s pop to like '90s rock. Maybe that's going to be the thing. I don't know uh, if. But even then, '90s rock has been like kind of played out too. Well, I mean, yeah. like, I think she pulls it off, but. 
we we just need to like get into some i don't know like i don't i don't know what's left to to mine i feel like in the past 10 years everything has just been so strip mined to the point where there's like no real interesting new influences unless we get back to like i don't know 2000 era like idm lap pop i'm always down for that yeah we'll <laughs> see i mean it is interesting to think about mitski at this point being a legacy artist and maybe that's what this mm-hmm. album signals that she now has the quality of catalog and also the size of catalog where every album she puts out is going to be anticipated and people are going to want to hear it but it's not going to quite have the same level of like make or break excitement that you have for an artist who's still building their their legacy you know like where you feel like oh this album is going to take them to the next level like mitski mm-hmm. is at that level now and yeah it's nice to see her make a record that seems aware of that and isn't trying to chase uh some sort of trend or audience in a way that I, again i feel like laurel hell for me like that's what that album felt like and maybe that's why I don't like that record because I think Mitski is at her best when she is just like in her own world doing her thing. And I feel like that's what she's doing on this album. And it's so good. I think the songs are, are really great. Uh, and again, just the aesthetic of the record. Uh, I mean, it's, you, you talk about bury me at makeout Creek and puberty too, being more your aesthetic. I mean, this is probably closer to my aesthetic. Uh, although I love those, those are, my other two favorite albums of hers. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think this album deserves to be in that company. Uh, And I think it's one of the best albums of the year. So we'll see how that shakes out as we come into the final quarter here of the year, uh, how this is going to stack up. But yeah, definitely uh, one of the best albums out uh, recently. And I'm glad it's on my fantasy team. And I'm glad Mitski is performing for me. Yeah, I just got to dock her points, though, because this album is 32 minutes, which, you know, Olivia Rodrigo kind of invented the 39-minute album, so it's kind of sad to see Mitski ripping off an, uh, an artist of that nature. Well, she invented the 32-minute <laughs> album. Oh, see, you know, she's yeah. cutting off, like, about, like, what, like a, like a, like a 20% off of uh, Olivia Rodrigo, 20% less, but, like, 20% more impact, the TikTokification of Mitski. Let's make. We're gonna make that. We're gonna make that the uh, headline of this episode. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, let's keep with the middle-aged uh, dad thing here and talk about uh, a new Chemical Brothers record. Uh, this is. This one's called For That Beautiful Feeling. It's their 10th album, which seems like there should be more, but, or maybe, I I don't know. But in the 2010s, like, they've really been on a hot streak, which is really surprising because they could, you know, being a electronic artist at their level, they could totally phone it in at this point. And there really was a, a time where they were phoning it in. So it's surprising to see them rebound like that and have this late career renaissance. Um, you know, it's funny to, um, and I'm sure you experienced this and like have thoughts about how in the late nineties there was the, you know, I don't know, the panic that, or the hype that electronica was going to supplant rock music and all of our favorite, uh, alt rock artists from that era, you know, made, you know, made albums that kind of reckoned with that. And it sort of kind of didn't happen. 
Um, but you know, now it's interesting when I hear new Chemical Brothers albums, they sound like arena rock to me. Not because there's like guitars necessarily, although the first single on this album is kind of a shoegaze song, but it just has that sort of uh, expanse and it sounds like it should be playing in an arena. Um, if you need no further uh, endorsement for this album, they made a good song with Beck in 2023. Like, you realize what an accomplishment that is. Also, they did a not annoying song with St. Vincent in 2015. So, I mean, and I'm sure you love the fact they made a couple of great songs with Oasis. So, the Chemical Brothers, great interpreters. And, I mean, it, it's – if you – it's so strange to say if you want an arena rock sounding album, go to a Chemical Brothers record. But like to me, this just is the shit I'm into. We've talked about Underworld in previous episodes, how they kind of have a similar thing going on. Um, this is the kind of music I never get tired of. So shout out to the Chemical Brothers. I feel like a lot of electronic groups eventually move into like an arena rock direction. Like I'm thinking about justice. Like they did a similar thing. Oh yeah. Uh, well, their second album kind of did right. Like they audio video yeah, yeah, that, something that, that, or other. There's songs on there that sound like Def Leppard. It, like, yeah. Like unironically, it's a great album. I love that album. Uh, you know, but like they did that, like Def Punk to a degree did that. Um, like who else? I had another example in mind that I can't remember right now. But I, I I mean, Prodigy was doing that like from Fat of the Land on. I mean, it's the yeah, I mean like that underworld like I was gonna say oh, fuck buttons. Say. The fuck buttons I think did the same right. thing too. Like where they would just make these like just massive sounding records that even if they weren't using guitars, it, it it had that same sort of arena rock feel. That that's such a great like little kind of micro genre of like electronic mm-hmm. Records that draw on on arena rock, like I- it's actually it's actually funny because I I keep seeing the uh, for Hulu the Imagine Dragons uh, documentary in Las Vegas and like that is arena rock but like EDM like I mean that is the kind of that is the kind of final stop but yeah like actual electronic artists making arena rock but it's not rock like that's my favorite that got to be one of my favorites yeah it's great. It always works. Yeah. Very high, uh, you know, consistency there, I think. Um, I want to talk about a duo called Lilts. And I'm talking about Lilts because there isn't a uh, new Wild Pink album this year, at least not yet. So this is like the next best thing if you're looking for more Wild Pink music. This is a duo made up of Laurel Wolf and John Ross of Wild Pink. And it basically sounds like Wild Pink, but like with a female singer. Uh, and... They have a new EP coming out actually next month. It's called Waiting Around. It's really good. But you can actually hear half of the EP already on streaming platforms, uh, including uh, the song Dodge Street, which is the best song on the record. And just like one of the, I think, best singles, if we could talk about singles again, that have come out like in the past uh, few months. Again, it sounds like Wild Pink, especially like the last couple records, but with a female vocalist and it works great. And if you like wild pink, you're going to like lilts and it's a great, <laughs> I guess, stopgap for those of us just waiting for a new wild pink record. So enjoy this. I Have you dipped into this yet? Yeah, it's, it's exactly the way you describe it. And, you know, there are some uh, wild pink songs recently where they have, you know, like Julia from rap boys on there or Julian Baker. And you know, this is a sound like, 
this is it, it works so well and dodge street i mean like that's the name of like a while you def like you know what you're getting there so yeah great ep john ross just on can't like can't seem to write a wax song and just <laughs> writes a ton of them so yeah. yeah i think this is a good stopgap. you know i don't know what the next move is for wild pink i know they're constantly writing music i feel like they've alluded to maybe making a new album soon and yeah um Whatever they do, you know, I'm in the tank. We'll see what happens. Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie. And I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 